1: I'm Anita Hill. You probably know me, or think you do. In the past 60 years, I've seen massive social gains for women and people of color. I've been at the forefront. Here's the thing. This progress didn't happen by chance. It was made. Made by hard work, sometimes life-threatening work. And it was made by everyday people making everyday choices. But there are still social inequalities that keep me up at night. My new podcast, Getting Even, is about equality and what it takes to get there. We're reflecting on how we looked outside the lines, broke the rules, and forged our own paths to equality. Listen to Getting Even on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen.
2: you know how money works, but like, do you really know how money works? <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: From the opening bell, investors were sounding the alarm. A massive stock sell you know That sell-off.
3: wild ride on Wall Street. The worst day in more than the four years after of all grocery items rose 6.5 percent.
4: This could be the most throughout. serious recession in decades. And that means life, as most Americans know it, is about to change. It's-
2: You're listening to Civics 101, and today we're talking about the Federal Reserve.
3: And listeners, this is Christina Phillips. She's our senior producer.
2: Nick, have you ever listened to a speech by the chair of the Federal Reserve?
3: No, absolutely not. Never in a thousand (laughs) years would I do that on a night off.
2: All right. So I did used to listen to the Federal Reserve speeches because in a former job when I was in news, I would cover the economy as part of my beat. And so I actually want to play you a quick clip of our current Federal Reserve chair, Jerome Powell, back in 2019, so tell me what you in think.
3: its 11th year, however, inflation has been running below the FOMC's symmetric 2% objective and cross currents such as trade tensions and concerns about global growth have been weighing on economic activity. Frankly, Christina, I'm glad I have not spent any of my nights listening to <laughs> chair of the Fed Reserve talking.
2: Yeah, I feel like, you know, I've listened to at least a dozen speeches by Jerome Powell over the years, and they're all like this. There's this language that is very difficult to understand.
3: Yeah. And that ticks me off because at the end of the day, (laughs) words like policies and growth indicators and inflation and market volatility, they're relevant to our lives. They flow down to you and me. So I'm very excited because a lot of this goes over my head most of the time to learn about the Fed. What is the Federal Reserve?
2: Before we get into the big stuff, I want to spend a little time going over a few economic terms that we're going to hear over and over, because they're super important to how the Fed does its job. I'm calling this the Federal Reserve warm-up, so I'm going to get a little warm-up music going. The first word is interest. Interest is the cost of borrowing money, and it's how banks work as businesses. When you take out a loan, you're charged a percentage of the money that you owe. And that works in reverse. So if you have a savings account, for example, often if you put money into the savings account, if you're putting money into the bank, the bank will pay you interest.
3: OK, so if you open a savings account with a 1% annual interest rate and you put 100 bucks in it, at the end of 12 months, you have $101.
2: Yes, exactly. And the next word is inflation. Prices are going up. If you want to think of that another way, the value of money is going down things feel more expensive.
3: It costs more money to get the same amount of groceries, or you could sell the house you bought five years ago for $50,000 more than you paid for it.
2: Right. And I've got one more term before we get into the Federal Reserve, the unemployment rate. Now, this is the percentage of the workforce or people who could be working who aren't for any number of reasons.
3: Okay, so it's not just all the people who don't have jobs compared against the whole population?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's just... How many people could be working who aren't? Another important thing is that unemployment rate and inflation are very closely linked, which we'll talk more about later. So that's the end of our warm up. It's time to get into the Federal Reserve.
3: I know that the Federal Reserve is our central bank, but what does central bank mean?
2: A central bank is set up by a government to oversee all other banking. It manages how much money is in circulation and regulates what banks can do with that money. And how a central bank works in any given country is unique to that government.
3: So we've done a lot of episodes on the founding documents. And one thing I know about our founders and the framers of the Constitution was a huge fear of giving the government too much power. No tyrants, right? So how do we end up with a central bank that that gives the government power over our economy?
2: I've got some help breaking this down thanks to Louise Shaner. She's the policy director at the Hutchins Center for Fiscal and Monetary Policy at the Brookings
4: Institution. And before that, she worked as an economist with the Federal Reserve. So for a long time, there was no central bank in the United States. And you come to the early 1900s and the banking system was just extremely dysfunctional. And it was wholly unsuited to the needs of the U.S. economy, which by then had been industrialized and quite sophisticated.
3: Oh, so you haven't always had a central bank.
2: Yeah, to what you said earlier about the founding of the United States, Alexander Hamilton was the first to try to give the U.S. a central banking system, an effort which got him a lot of opposition and ultimately failed. But a century or so later, industrialization transformed
4: the economy. And without a national banking system, without a central bank, you had problems like there would be cash shortages in one part of the country and leading to bank runs and spikes in interest rates and recessions. And these happen quite frequently. Some type of central bank was needed to manage the peaks and values of the economy and to smooth out developments in different areas of the economy. And so the result was the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, which established the Federal Reserve System
3: how did they do that without giving too much power to the federal government?
4: Yeah, so in order to get the political support for the central bank, there were a lot of compromises that were made. Um, And those compromises actually are still reflected in the organization of the Fed today. So in particular, the Federal Reserve is not this strong federal central bank. It is actually called the Federal Reserve System. And it consists of different parts. One is the Board of Governors, and that's located in Washington. And the members of the Board of Governors are appointed by the president. Members of the Board of Governors are appointed for staggered 14-year terms, and the board chair is appointed for a four-year term. Unlike other executive agencies, a new president or a new Congress cannot come in and just change the membership of the Fed.
2: This Board of Governors is made up of seven people who ideally have a diversity of experience in finance, industry, and commerce, and aren't all appointed by the same president. As far as the board chair, you can think of that person as the face of the Federal Reserve. This is who you'll see giving speeches and interviews.
3: Today, I will review the current economic situation and outlook before turning to monetary policy.
2: Jerome Powell is our current board chair. He was appointed first in 2018 and then again in 2022. But the Federal Reserve isn't just
4: these board of governors. There's more. It also has 12 regional Federal Reserve banks, which are scattered across the country. And who have presidents that are appointed not by Washington, but by bankers and private citizens.
3: And what do those regional banks do?
4: These
2: regional reserve banks are doing the everyday business of banking on behalf of the Federal Reserve. They're the ones making the sausage, basically. They're the direct link to the private sector. So private banks that you and I use are overseen by a regional reserve bank, and they borrow and lend from it. For us in New Hampshire, that's the Reserve Bank in Boston. These reserve banks are also the Fed's experts on the economics of that region. So the Fed always has a sense of what's going on in different parts of the country.
4: So the system was created to balance all the competing worries and interests. Some part is in the federal government in Washington. Some part is controlled by government. Some part is controlled by private citizens and bankers. And there's also regional coverage so that the interests of different people in different areas of the country are represented.
3: So we've been talking a lot about banking and bankers so far. I would like to know, when does the public start to come in? How does the Federal Reserve work in our interest?
4: The Fed is an independent agency, but it is accountable. It is part of government. So it is accountable to Congress and to the American people. So it is overseen by Congress. But it is independent in a way that many other agencies are not. The Federal Reserve is not funded by the budgeting process in Congress. It's funded actually by the lending that it does. It lends money to banks and banks pay its interest. And from that interest, it funds itself. And what they don't use to fund itself goes back to the Treasury. So although there is congressional oversight, they can't control the Fed by determining its budget. So the Fed has a lot more independence than other agencies.
3: So politicians who might hate the idea of a central bank, they can't use their ability to just slash funding to reduce its power. Right. But earlier, Louise said that Congress did have oversight. So, what does that mean?
2: Congress gives the
4: Federal Reserve a mandate keep our economy healthy. So, formally, the mandate calls for maximum employment and stable prices, but it's interpreted as basically saying we shouldn't have inflation too high and we shouldn't have unemployment too high either. But then it's left to the technical experts at the Fed to figure out how best to do that. So, it has both the technical expertise to figure out how to do that. You know, the Fed employs many, many PhD economists and also tries to insulate it from political pressure that would make it try to do things in the short run that might not be in the long-run interest of the economy.
3: Okay, so we've come back to inflation and unemployment.
2: It's almost like I planned it that way.
3: How does the Fed affect inflation and unemployment?
2: Two ways. The first is monetary policy. The second is regulation and stabilization. And if you're wondering what I mean when I say monetary policy and regulation and stabilization, rest assured, we are going to define what those things mean and what they actually look like in practice right after the break.
3: Before we continue, as we are talking an awful lot about money today, I want to say that Civics 101 is always going to be free, but it can't be that way without your support. Head over to our website, civics11podcast.org, and help us out in any way you can. It means the world to us.
0: You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. All
3: right, Christina, you've told me about how the Federal Reserve was created— and what it is, now can you tell me what it does?
2: Yeah, and we're gonna break that down into two parts, the monetary policy part and what I'm calling the responsible adult part.
3: What is the responsible adult part?
2: That's the regulation and stabilization part. Basically, the Federal Reserve is trying to keep financial institutions and people from playing too closely with fire. And then if things go wrong, how the Fed comes charging in with the fire extinguisher. Let's
4: start with monetary policy, meaning that it uses its capacity to affect interest rates and the money supply to try to fulfill its mandate, which is to keep both inflation and unemployment low. That's Louise Shainer, policy director at the Brookings
2: Institution's Hutchins Center on Fiscal and Monetary Policy. She spoke with Civics 101 back in 2017. As I said earlier, inflation and unemployment are connected to each other. And in a healthy economy, neither is changing too quickly. It's sort of like Goldilocks. The Fed wants to keep the economy not too hot, not too cold, just right. Which, by the way, in the 1990s, there was a period of time called the Goldilocks economy.
3: Wow. Really?
2: Yeah, it was like everybody was like, "Okay, things are cool. Everything is good.
3: (laughs) Why don't we want the economy to change too quickly?
2: So economists often use this metaphor of a playground swing and it's the perfect metaphor so i'm gonna use it now all right i'm with you you know how when you get on a swing the further you swing forwards the further you swing backwards
3: oh yeah 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 um absolutely yeah
2: (laughs) swings that's how they work that's
3: how swings work
2: (laughs) so when a swing goes forwards That momentum carries it backwards and an economy, if it's like a swing, if it swings really far in one direction, it's going to go really far in the other direction and it's really difficult to stop. The Federal Reserve doesn't want that. Small swings are easy to control. Those big swings are how we end up with economic crises.
3: Right. Like a recession.
2: Yeah, exactly. If you've ever heard an economist say the economy is contracting, that's basically a slowdown of growth. That's the swing going backwards. A recession is a significant contraction that lasts over months. And now a depression is a more severe contraction that lasts years. Both of these mean that it gets harder and harder for people to afford things. Businesses can't make the money they need. People get laid off. Companies may fail. And people are just struggling to afford their everyday expenses.
3: So what is that just right perfect bowl of economy porridge?
2: (laughs) I'm sure that many people would argue that there's no, like, perfect just right. But we do have some, some markers that we can go by. And if we start with inflation, which is the rate that the value of money is decreasing over time,
4: some inflation is actually healthy. The Fed has to be constantly monitoring the state of the economy to decide whether it's getting too strong, meaning that inflation is going to be right around the corner, or too weak, meaning that employment is going to increase.
3: So let's say the Fed starts to notice that inflation is going up pretty quickly. What can it do?
4: Nick, we've
2: arrived at interest rates. Remember how we talked about banks making money by charging interest when they lend money? Yes. Well, one thing the Federal Reserve does that other banks can't do is that it sets a federal interest rate. It has the power to say this is the interest rate that banks charge one another for lending interbank loans. So it serves as a baseline. If the federal interest rate goes up or down, it's likely that the interest rates that banks charge you or me will also follow suit.
3: All right. So if I went out and got a loan for a car tomorrow, that interest rate a bank charges me is going to be affected by the interest rate the Federal Reserve has set.
2: Exactly. The Federal Reserve meets eight times a
4: year to decide if the rate should go up or down or if it's just right. So when the Fed changes interest rates, it can change how fast the economy is
3: growing. To hike or not to hike, that is the question. Aha.
2: So you asked what the Fed can do if inflation starts going up too quickly. If inflation is going up, the economy is getting too hot, the Fed might increase
4: that federal interest rate. So when it raises interest rates, borrowing becomes more expensive. So people will cut back on new home purchases, credit card borrowing or other types of spending. And that can keep the economy from getting out of whack, growing too fast and causing inflation. On the other hand, when the economy is weak or is in a recession, the Fed can lower interest rates to try to help spur investment and increase spending and get the economy out of its bad situation and lower unemployment.
2: And that, my friend, is the very basic rundown of monetary policy. This is
3: something I never thought I would understand, but I think I get it for the first time in my life. I do. I do get it. (sighs) I want to go back to this responsible adult thing you mentioned, the regulation and stabilization side of the Federal Reserve. What's that about?
4: The Fed has a very important role in regulating banks and also just in promoting the stability of the financial system as a whole. So it kind of does this in two ways. One, it makes sure that the banks under its supervision, which are most large banks, are in good financial shape and aren't taking on too much risk. So that's kind of like trying to prevent a financial crisis from happening.
3: These crises have happened or been very close to happening several times during my life.
4: Yeah. And if they do, for whatever
2: reason, the economy begins to slide into a recession, for example, the Federal Reserve does have tools to respond. And it just so happens that we have a recent example of this type of response that we can talk through so you can see exactly what that looks
3: like. Are you talking about the 2008 financial crisis?
2: Oh, you know I am.
0: Wall Street veterans call it the worst financial crisis of their lifetime. More than $4. Traders here working the phone say a lot of their customers are freaked out. waiting And to
3: financial see markets from Asia to Europe are doing their utmost to prevent Monday from turning from dark to black.
2: Just a caveat here, this is a complicated crisis that I'm going to try to boil down in a way that helps us understand the role of the Federal Reserve. But there are lots of sources about this crisis and the Fed's response that you can look at if you want more information. And we'll link to those in our show notes and at civics101podcast.org. So in the years leading up to 2008, there was a lot of risky investing that was happening largely outside of these regulations set by the Fed, meaning investors were making lending decisions that were higher risk. They could make a lot of money or they could lose a lot of money. And that risk flowed down to borrowers like you and me. A lot of this played out in the housing market where lenders made it really easy to get mortgages and people bet on the value of their homes going
3: up. Right. Maybe your mortgage has a really high interest rate, but if your house is going to be worth a lot more than you paid for, you'll make that sum up when you sell it.
2: And for a lot of reasons, that bubble eventually burst. The value of homes plummeted. People who borrowed money with that expectation that their home's value would go up couldn't afford payments on houses that were no longer even worth what they paid for them. You are
3: watching us from the last home you'll ever own tonight. Consider yourself lucky. Same goes for anyone ready to buy a slice of the American dream, but if you're among the millions trying to sell, this was a very bad day.
2: Financial institutions that had been engaging in risky investing couldn't support themselves, they were over leveraged, And they started to collapse. A
0: major American investment bank in trouble, running out of money, perhaps on the verge of going out of business.
4: There's still some dispute in the economic literature about whether the Fed should have eased earlier. It's clear that the Fed did not see what was coming. And, you know, what I'll say, I was at the Fed at the time, is, you know, neither did the rest of the economics profession. So I don't know if this is a knock on the Fed or a knock on the economics profession or in some sense maybe neither. Uh, It may be just these things are very difficult to know. I think most economists agree that if the Fed hadn't acted the way it did in the recession, um, the recession would have lasted much longer and would have been even worse than it was.
3: And what did the Federal Reserve do?
2: As Louise said, there was a lot of debate about what could have been done maybe to prevent this crisis. And there's also criticism of how the Federal Reserve did respond. But to help us understand what the Federal Reserve can do to stabilize an economy that's in crisis, I want to go through the actions
4: that it did take. So one of the things it did was do what it normally does, which is to adjust monetary policy to try to stimulate the economy. And uh, the Fed lowered interest rates from five and a quarter percent in September 2007 to near zero and kept them there for about nine years. But that couldn't mitigate the crisis on its own. It had to do
2: something more. So the next thing it did was keep a couple of these giant banks from
4: failing. It made loans to help prevent the collapse of two very important firms, Bear Stearns and AIG. Agreement, the New York Fed and JPMorgan Chase have agreed to provide an unspecified amount of secured funding to Bear Stearns for up to 28 days. The Fed will provide non-recourse, back-to-back financing to JPMorgan Chase. Because it believed that if these firms collapse, it could greatly increase the financial panic and really damage the economy.
3: Right. This is the expression we've heard quite a bit when it comes to the recession, too big to fail.
4: So as bad as the recession was, and it was bad, uh, without the Fed intervening, a lot of people think it would have been another Great Depression. The Fed also created a bunch of new lending programs that would make loans to banks and other bank-like institutions. And that was really to fulfill its role of, of lender of last resort and to pretty much say, look, There doesn't need to be a panic. We are here to lend money if you need it and to basically calm the markets and prevent the system from kind of going into sort of chaos.
2: It's also important to mention that Congress passed emergency legislation called the Troubled Asset Relief Program that set up systems through government financial agencies like the Treasury to give banks, businesses and millions of Americans a way to get out of that financial
3: hole. As we are doing this episode, spring of 2022, I kind of have the feeling that we are on the brink of another financial crisis. Inflation has gone up massively in the last few months.
2: Yeah, it's important to remember that at any time in the economy, what's going on is unique to that moment. So what's happening now may look like something we've seen before, but it's not the same. And also what happened in 2008 is still contributing to some of the things we're seeing now, like rising inflation. But on top of that, we've got events like the pandemic and global conflict. They're all contributing to it as well. And the Federal Reserve will continue to use its tools, monetary policy, regulation and stabilization to adapt to the economy of right now, to strive to meet that mandate by Congress, low inflation and low unemployment. Back in 2017, Louise spoke about the future of the Federal Reserve, and I think her feeling is still pretty relevant now.
4: The reason the Fed is an independent agency in the sense that I already described is that there is this view that independence is very important for central banks, that it is important that monetary policy's decisions not be subject to political, short-term political considerations. I think You know, I'm hoping that the Fed has a very healthy long-term outlook. It has weathered political storms in the past right from the beginning. It's always been an institution that is not typically all that popular, um, and it manages to survive, and I hope it still does.
2: All right, here we go. My cat is howling. The door. Hopefully you don't hear the cat. If you do, that's nugget everyone. He has separation anxiety. This episode was produced by me, Christina Phillips, with help from Nick Capadice. Our team includes Hannah McCarthy and Jackie Fulton. Our executive producer is Rebecca Lavoie Music in this episode by Zeke, Superintendent McCupcakes, John Abbott, Martin Moses, Oi, Arthur Benson, Rascal Genius, Broke for Free, Chris Sabrisky, and Matt Large. Civics 101 is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio.